it's not even that he has a First Amendment right to say whatever he wants. What was the crime? I mean, yes, the Insurrection Act would have been a crime. Insurrection is a crime. What crime is it? Well, it's an attempt to criminalize political speech because the, the goal here is not to actually have a tangible crime to charge Donald Trump with. It's to search for any crime that they could get past or they could get through a judge and a jury in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to the Alan Phelan Scoop. My name is Anne McElhenney. And my name is Phelan McElhenney and we're coming to you from Ireland. Out there is Ireland, out there is Ireland, out there is Ireland. We've got a triple aspect room, did you see that? Um, and we have the, what's the wettest July record since 1992 or something like that. So what's on the show today, Anne? So despite hand-wringing over July being the hottest month on record, looking at the whole picture reveals a cooler picture. Hysterical headlines about the world boiling and on fire are just that. Hysterical. Hysterical. And speaking of climate, we are now in a very soggy Ireland very where soggy. global boiling has now somehow led to the wettest July on record. But don't worry, the science is settled. Absolutely. But Ireland is really at peak woke. We peak. look at how the media has covered a recent absolute Abs- not... Absolutely not Islam-fueled double... Not Double Islam. decapitation of two gay men. In fact, it's probably a far-right plot to... Um, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. More it's of a mystery. mystery. It's a mystery that's happened here, There's very some, close to where we are. Some Islamic guy has de- decapitated two, but they cannot, two gay men, but they cannot... Police are comp- pu- puzzled beyond measure. That's have it. never, never the like, no yes. idea what, what possibly could have motivated I this. I just don't know. Anyway, well, very, we'll, very we'll, tragic. We'll talk really about, tragic tragic we'll, also, we'll talk about the media cover-up and the, and the police, the official Ireland cover-up. And you would think that the PR disaster that happened with Bud Light would have taught CEOs all over the world, you know, not to push trans madness, trans contagion uh, <clears throat> on the people. But they'd no, apparently not. So um, as many CEOs would say in this situation, hold my coffee, hold my boot. We'll explain why. Yes. And the Kevin Spacey podcast, just we want to remind you that the people who brought you the fake steel dossier, which is really the first big fake indictment of Trump or the special counsel. They also brought you, shortly afterwards, they brought you the Kevin Spacey story that ruined the life of a man who has now been exonerated. And multiple times in multiple jurisdictions. Yes, and we are gonna, we're going to bring you a kind of detailed analysis of the media malfeasance. And uh, it's very interesting. I think the audience that has come to the Kevin Spacey podcast is now going over to the Gosnell podcast. We're going to read you some of the reviews there from, from that. So. Quite, yes. And yeah, kind of funny, actually. And we'll, we'll, we'll explain why I'm laughing about that. Um, and Trump has been indicted again. We bring you the truth behind this third indictment. Or is it the fourth? I don't know. I've, well, I mean, we've basically, kind of lost count We've now. lost count and they've lost count as well. They don't care about due process anymore. So they're just throwing anything at them in the hope that it will stick. And it won't. I can predict that. So climate change. Tell me about climate change, Anne. Are well, we all going to die, or, or apparently today, or tomorrow? You know, or? in general, we're all going to die, I suppose. But um, yeah, but according to the climate people, it's all going to happen very, very quickly, and you know, in, and in some kind of apocalyptic way, we're all going to burn up. But uh, Bjorn Lomborg, writing recently in the Wall Street Journal, wrote very, you know, very intelligently and rationally about all of this madness and the mad headlines. If any, if you've been alive this summer at all, you won't have missed. Crazy headlines everywhere. They're all over the world. These crazy, hysterical, uh, apocalyptic headlines. 
And it's like I was saying that to you yesterday, Phil. It's like we're in some we're we're being we are genuinely being brainwashed. We are being we are being terrorized. With, and it's very, very similar to how we were terrorized with COVID, how people the world over were terrorized and are still not over it. But now they've just segued from terrorizing us about COVID to terrorizing us with headlines about the globe. And basically, you know, the whole world's on fire. Apparently the whole world's on fire. And Bjorn Lomborg writes in the Wall Street Journal to say, calm down. It's actually all right. The world is not on fire. I'm just going to bring you a couple of more. It's worth reading the whole piece, actually. But just a couple of the things that he that he highlights uh, you know and i just uh, here here they are from the wall street journal the data is unequivocal the data is unequivocal, yeah, unequivocal. since since the early 2000s when 3% of the world's land caught fire the area burned annually has trended downward so basically the you know in the last two decades the fires have not increased. They've actually decreased, dramatically decreased. In 2022, the last year for which there are complete data, the world hit a new record low of 2.2% burned area. Yet you'd struggle to find, this is beyond Lombard saying, you would really struggle to find anywhere where that was reported. You know, and I, I, that's why I wanted to bring that to people's conscious level, that literally, you know, this is kind of really good news in terms yeah. of burning, but you'd never know it. Instead, he says, the media acts as if the world is ablaze. In late 2021, the New York Times employed more than 40 staff on a project called Postcards from a World on Fire, headed by a photorealistic animation of the world in flames, you know. And he just says, this is complete madness. This is, you know, this is, yeah, we are being, you know, we are being brainwashed. This summer, the focus has been on Canada's wildfires, the smoke from which covered large parts of the northeastern US. Both the Canadian Prime Minister and the White House have blamed climate change. Yet the latest report from the United Nations Climate Panel doesn't attribute the area burned globally by wildfires to climate change. Instead, it vaguely suggests the weather conditions that promote wildfires are becoming more and more common in some places. But across the world, again, this is yep. still from the same some same article, mm-hmm. fewer, air, fewer acres burning each year has led to overall lower levels of smoke, which today, and again, here's more news, good news, good news. that you could have heard, but you didn't hear, which today likely prevents over 100 thousand infant deaths annually and again as he says that's you're probably thousand children's lives saved. saved but you're you know and that by the way is according to research very recent research from stanford and stockholm university but again i think it's unlikely that you read that anywhere if you weren't reading the the, the wall street journal australia wildfires likely harmed uh, or likely killed or harmed six billion animals in 2019 2020 really you know that's quite extraordinary right but they say that's near a record low. In the early 2000s, fires harmed or killed 13 billion animals annually. So basically twice the amount, right? Americans fire last year, US fires burned less than one fifth of the average burn in the 1930s. Which was a very hot decade. And talking of fires, you know, so, be, you know, so basically all of, these, all of these headlines need to be dug deep into because mostly it's rubbish. And one of the things that Phelan just pointed out, which I think is hilarious, in Ireland where they're talking about the wor- ever, when you see the thing of in in history, you know, records, the worst since ever, records, the, yeah. since re- and then 
the, the really telling thing is when they eventually admit to since records began. And the question to ask is, when did the records begin? In the case of Ireland, in some of the most hysterical headlines they've had in Ireland lately, the headlines... The, the records began in the 80s. Some of them in the 50s. Some of them in the, but no, no, actually, the, the ones that they're talking about now are records that they're talking about since the 80s. It's extraordinary. The other thing that happened when we were here um, in Ireland, in Europe, this last, this last you know, couple of months, huge, huge headlines about Greece, massive headlines everywhere. We're going to put a few of them up on screen right now. Here's one from Al Jazeera. Fires were always a fact of Greek life, but now they're worse Right. Again, the Guardian, the lessons from the Greece wildfires, the climate crisis is coming for us all. Um, And I think I have another one here. Greece wildfires. Again, this is from the Guardian. Climate crisis will manifest itself everywhere with greater disasters, says the Greek prime minister, as it happened. And then? And then, segue, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, most fires in Greece were started by human hand, government says. And that and story... A little line below it. Official blames negligence or arson for majority of 667 blazes that spread in extreme heat. But then Bjorn Lomborg says, and of course you, you, you are all highly educated on all of this, but it's good to remember. He said, when reading headlines about fires, remember the other climate scare tactics that proved to be duds. And he says, of course, polar bears, which our f- old friends feel and the polar bears. Polar bears were once the poster cubs the poster cubs do you like that the poster cubs for climate action yet are now estimated to be more populous than at any time in the past half century they're more populous right and the other one was the other one he mentions is we were told climate change would produce more hurricanes yet satellite data shows that the number of hurricanes globally since 1980 has trended slightly i'm feeling downward i'm feeling a little nostalgic here actually Oh, let's play me asking Al Gore about the polar bears. Let's play that clip. A judge in the British High Court, after a lengthy hearing, found there were nine significant errors. This has been shown to children. Have you do you accept those findings? And have you done anything to correct those errors? Senator Barbara Boxer today putting the climate bill on the fast track while former Veep Al Gore pushing to keep the global warming issue on track. My next guest just taking on the Veep at a conference, filmmaker Phelan McAleer joining me right now. You were asking questions and they shut your mic off. What did you say to tick them off? Well, not many Americans know this, but in in Britain, uh, a parent who, Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, has been shown at his local school. And the parent said, I don't want this shown here. So he sued the Department of Education. And a British High Court judge found that there was nine significant errors in An Inconvenient Truth. So I asked Al Gore, Vice President Al Gore, does he accept the ruling? Uh, and if he does, is he going to issue any corrections? And if he doesn't accept it, what did the judge get wrong? And, and how is he, going, has, is he going to appeal the ruling? And Vice President Al Gore doesn't give many press conferences. The, the, the organisers of the... You're the reason why, apparently. Well, if, you, if, you, if the world is going to end, I would give all the press conferences in the world. I, I, I must assume then that Al Gore knows the world is not going to end. Well, you particularly raise the issue of all the polar bears dying off. You said there's actually been an increase in the number of polar bears, and yet 
there was no acknowledgement of that. Yeah, well, he raised the issue. He, he asked me, did I, he, he doesn't realize what a questions and an, question and answer session is. He started asking me questions. What were the other journalists saying? Well, that was, the, that, actually, that's the more shocking bit. Uh, Al Gore not answering questions is normal. Uh, yeah. The fact that other journalists went in and grabbed the microphone and then shut off the microphone. Oh, so it was other journalists who did that? It was a society of environmental journalists. So the, the vice president hated you and they hated you? Yeah, I suppose environmental journalists, unfortunately, tend to be environmentalists rather than journalists. They've never found an environmental organization that's ever exaggerated, that's ever told a lie. And there is, you know, there, it's big environment we've got here, just like big business. And they want to rework the American economy, big environment. They want to end fossil fuels within 10 years, destroy jobs, destroy them, or change the American economy, as they say it. And uh, I want environmental journalists to actually ask them difficult questions. It's not an awful but thing. But if they don't, what happens? Well, then, then people, people get a misleading view of, 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 of the way of the world. They think we live in a very polluted times. They think we're all going to die. And children in schools are being shown an inconvenient truth every day of the, of the year. And they're being shown a documentary that's wrong. And that's what I said to Vice President Gore. This documentary has been shown as children. Don't you have a moral responsibility to either challenge the judge or to issue a correction to the film? And he didn't want to answer that. But my colleagues in the journalistic fields didn't want me to press the question. Well, you're going to have a documentary to rebut that, I guess. Yes, at the end of the week on Sunday, Not Evil, Just Wrong is coming out. And it's, it's a documentary, actually, that Al Gore doesn't want you to see. So we have a very unique right. way of bringing it out. We're going to bring it out in people's homes. We're asking people to order it online, and they get the DVD, they get a, a poster, and they get a piece of red carpet. There you uh, go. Philem, I look forward to it. Thanks for your patience. The breaking news when we come back. Buzz. Just point, let me point out, that was a, a society of environmental journalists. And what did they do when I asked a person in power difficult questions and he struggled they switched off my mic don't forget these are not these are not journalists who who are writing about the environment these are environmentalists posing as journalists truth to power, truth so, to power. so much for truth to power yes i, I just pulled, Salem has a headline i just pulled that headline out and i just i didn't even bother reading the article right because uh, it sort of says it all in the new york times it's august californians are still skiing don't ask. And I think that, that's right. Don't ask. They don't want you to ask because it just goes in the face of all the climate catastrophizing. So what else is on? Well, uh, as you know, as you know, we were we were very recently in London where Phelan's very successful one night staged reading of the premiere of his new play, um, Mermaids versus the Alliance, was, you know, beyond packed. You know, thank God the fire marshal didn't arrive. Really extraordinary. <coughs> Standing yes. room only. <coughs> Hilarious. Amazing poignant there were tears there were claps there was Laughter. standing ovation a fantastic an amazing night but somebody told, somebody afterwards an actor to come up to me and said this is the best play i've been at this is the most moving uh, play i've been at in ten in the last 10 years and we can't say who the actor was because they're kind of a little bit famous yes um uh, but you know, coming from her, it was actually, you know, pretty extraordinary. Yes. But uh, and we won't say who she was because, of course, that could mean her cancellation. Her and she, she has quite the nice career. Anyway, um, given, you know, that's kind of the context. And I think sometimes perhaps and I think when we started talking about the trans issue a few months ago, I mean, I think even I was I was sort of thinking, oh, God, you know, our supporters, you know, they don't. They, this isn't really an issue. It's not really something. Well, I don't think we'd have to persuade any of yep. you of how serious an issue this is now. Yep. And just to kind of even over, to, you know, emphasize that, you know, you'll see things on the media and in social media and you'll think that actually can't be true. I'm putting up a picture right now. Um, 
from the largest coffee company, the largest coffee shop company in the UK called Costa Coffee. You're seeing that picture right now of a, a mutilated girl, a mutilated woman um, with the scars of a double mastectomy. This is supposed to be a good thing, a positive thing. And for women who unfortunately have had to have mastectomies because of cancer, because because their breasts are full of disease, the idea that healthy breasts are being removed in children in people who are under 18. It doesn't and, matter, by the way. Uh, but, no, I'm, just men- I'm mentioning that first, Phil, but I know anyone. That you would mutilate anyone who obviously has some kind of a you know, body dysmorphia, have a, have a disease. You, Phil makes the point over and over again. Imagine if you turned up, and, and people do obviously, with eating disorders to doctors, like an anorexic, and the doctor says, you know, you're right. You do need to lose weight. You know, we are going to put you. We are going to put you on a diet of three almonds. Yes, we're going to take a you day. to hospital. We're going to take you to hospital and not feed you and, and encourage your uh, your bad image of yourself. So, despite how awful, you know, the incredible uh, results, economic results for uh, Anheuser Busch with their Bud Light campaign. Despite that, and we've seen the headlines. Mm-hmm. I mean, extraordinary. The company have had to lay off a, a bunch of people. Their their profits have seen you know a disaster. Yes. free fall who knows what's going to happen despite that here's Costa Coffee biggest coffee shop um, chain in the UK doing this and it's not just them alone look at what Doc Martens have done so Doc Martens another huge worldwide brand have decided that what really really matters to them is to push this trans madness again with an image of a mutilated woman's body and I just want to read what they said, and Forbes have written about this, everyone's written about this. Um, of course, I'd li- I, I will include, by the way, the headline from Pink News Film, your favourite yeah. publication, who love this kind of stuff. And basically they said, transphobes rage at Doc Martens after a queer artist drew a trans man on a pair of boots. So, but basically from Forbes, um, the company were asked to explain themselves and they said its hues have been adopted by global queer communities as a symbol for stomping all over the status quo. Well, if the status quo is healthy bodies, yeah, we're not in favour of companies stomping such a, such a stomping on healthy bodies. The trans ideology is, is ultra-establishment now. It's the people who are opposed to the trans ideology are the are the i mean you know how, why wouldn't if they want to trample over the status quo how, or if they want to you know be transgressive they actually should have a christian symbol on their boots talking to christians talking no. to christians i'm just going to say this i'm going to leave this i don't even know where to go with it but just to say that a drag queen has just recently topped the christian music charts with a song called bible belt baby Two of the lines from Bible Belt Baby are, are boys get blue and girls get pink and Bible Belt babies don't have to think, yeah? Picture this, an American scene Lost in the cover of a magazine Bible Belt Baby wanna be a queen Lord Mama tried to keep a little boy clean She found him with her high heels on a a train of green chiffon that messy lip was overdrawn it was shocking and obscene this is from a song from that topped the christian music charts and this is a thing that funny it reminds me of a thing that um that dennis prager often says that the, the leftists they have to destroy everything you know 
Go and make your music. I mean, there's loads of places to put your music, but yeah, this is what they, this is what they do. Get put insert that song into the Christian music charts, and then through a campaign, force force the song yep. into becoming a number one song. Of course, I looked at at the uh, Christian charts today. It's nowhere to be seen today. And if you look at the Christian music charts, you know all the songs have very uplifting titles um, and are exactly about what you'd expect them to be about. But the world has gone quite mad. And we have a local example of how mad the world has gone. Yes. Salem, what happened in Sligo? Well, Sligo, which is a town t- 20 miles from here, um, uh, there was two men were mutilated, as, as the media calls, described mutilated. But I think, I think what happened to them was they were beheaded by Yusuf Palani. Yusuf Palani. This is not an Irish name. This is not. He's not one of the Palanis of Gorda Hork, right? So he badly injured one man, murdered and mutilated, decapitated two other men, had a list of other gay men to murder and mutilate uh, when he was arrested. Um, but here's the headline, and this is it's just from the Sunday Times, which is supposed to be more... Know, transgressive to use a word than other newspapers sort of saying things that nobody else says but catching the Sligo grinder killer he called his victims on grinder a man intent quote on killing as many people as possible and then Yusuf Palani has admitted two killings that terrorized the LGBTQ community officers fear he was just getting started but don't know why you don't know why no idea why Yes. No idea why he targeted gays, why he beheaded people. No yes. idea why, because there's no pattern there, right? Yes, so yes. There's no, it's, it's not like, you know the way they do that, because we watch a lot of crime shows, as yeah. you guys know, and it's not, you know, and when that, you know, they do, they look for patterns and they look for, you know, other yeah. cri- crimes that might be similar, but they can't find a crime similar to that. I mean, it's very bad. It's very serious. I mean, this is, it's serious in many ways, but it's actually if the guardy, if somebody starts decapitating gay men, and the guards just can't work out, the police can't just work out why, what the motive is. Like the obvious thing to do is go along to the local mosque. Actually, I'm sorry to say that, um, but you'll hear that they're very determined to 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 dis- deflect from the uh, the religion of peace uh, that this person was a member of. So. Um, Witnesses told Gardy they noticed nothing suspicious about his behaviour after he murdered his first victim, Aidan Moffat, a 42-year-old businessman. Nothing suspicious about his activities at all. Afterwards, after the murder, mm-hmm. what do you think he did after the murder? I don't know, Phil. Afterwards, Palani went to the mosque on Sligo Town to pray. Funny, I thought you might say that. <laughs> but and then they go, as it was Ramadan. And I was like, imagine if that was a, a, a far-right murderer. Who went, went to, to church. church or a Catholic, extreme Catholic who murdered, was murdering gay people and went to church after committing one of the murders. That would be in the headline. Killer went to church after beheading, a, after beheading gay man. But no, because nothing unusual. In fact, there's nothing unusual. So I saw him return home that night laughing as he got out of his car wearing his best clothes. Nothing looked untoward. He looked calm and relaxed. Maybe he was calm and relaxed because he'd done what he thought his religion had taught him to do. So, why and then the bit, then the bit in the middle of the article? Why did a young Muslim man who grew up in the west of Ireland turn into a serial killer? It is a question that has no straightforward answer. No straightforward answer that we're willing to give. I think is the is the brackets there. <laughs> the police still have no idea what motivated Palani to go no, on a killing. No idea. Spree. 
at all. Like they've this thrown is... everything. You know, you know the way they do those cop shows and they just throw everything at the wall. Like just let's spitball this thing. Let's yes. think through every possibility. So they did that in Sligo, but couldn't come up with anything. You know, there's no, no, ideas. no evidence to show that he was a repressed gay Muslim who struggled with his sexuality. And no evidence to show he was radicalized. And they don't know if mutilating bodies was a sexual king. They just don't know. It's the, I, I love this. His family declined to say anything when approached on Friday. Palani comes from an Iranian comes from an Iranian Kurdish family who were resettled in Ireland in 2006 as part of a United Nations program. What does that mean? What, like why would why on earth would you use that phraseology? What what let me translate that for you. Who came, uh, part of an Iranian Kurdish family who came to Ireland as refugees. As refugees. You know, of course there's there's a lot of uh, Ireland has too many refugees at the moment. That's just a fact, right? Uh, there's all the tourist towns are dying because there's nowhere to put these uh, refugees, so they're putting them in hotels, so tourists can't come. So, so Ireland, but the, so they don't want to use the word refugee. So they use this really resettled in Ireland in August 2006 as part of the United Nations program. His parents were then provided with a four-bedroom house in Markievicz Heights by the town council. Nice. 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 When there's all these homeless people when in Ireland, a homeless, crisis. A homeless crisis, and you can't get can't get anywhere to rent. I love this. I mean, it just gets better. The family stood out as they did not maintain their house or garden, so they didn't even. Buy, so they were given this free house. Oh, they stood out because they they rubbished the house. Then. Yes, yes, trashed the house. They rarely interacted with neighbor with their neighbors, and only occasionally attended a local mosque, oh. but appeared to outsiders to be devout. Like that doesn't make sense. Right. Oh, I know what it means, though. It means that they wore the outfit. Right. They were wearing. Well, I love this. Palani's mother wore a, a niqab. Niqab. Yeah. Though she, though she drove her own car. I love they this. They didn't say that. Yes. You wrote that, or no? No, she wrote that. Though she, though she drove her own car. Yes. They say that in the yes. Irish newspapers. Yes. Like heaven forfend. Yes. She drove her own car. Never heard the like. She should be. Uh, Go on ahead. Uh, his father often drew strange looks because. He was meditating on the green space close to his home. I think we call that praying. You see, this is Ireland's so secular now. They think that 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 when you do this and do that, you're meditating. You're not doing yoga. He wasn't doing yoga, right? He wasn't doing his breathing exercises. He was playing praying to Allah, right? Fair enough. But imagine, so imagine if this this guy was a Christian. So extreme far-right Christian goes to church to celebrate after murdering gay. His father was known for outward displays of Christianity on the green. Not, not Christianity. No, I'm just putting the... Uh, just, oh, you're, oh, you're saying, yeah. I'm saying, you know, he, he meditated. They're saying, no, he wasn't outwardly religious, but he did meditate on a green space. No, he was outwardly He prayed on a green space. Like, you know. All right. Um, and then, I, love, I mean, I don't know what this is about. Is there anything in this article you don't love, Phelan? But anyway, go on. A curious aspect. Are you saying I'm boring you? No, no, no. I'm not, <laughs> keep it, keep it on coming. You know, a, I, I, keep the hits. Keep the hits. Just keep on coming. A curious case aspect of this case. There's many curious. A cases, curious aspect of the case was the discovery by by police of a suitcase stuffed with a thirty thousand euros in notes mm. hidden in the family home when they arrested Palani. Nice. Yes, the cash was seized pending inquiry. And I don't know which is worse, whether he's part of some kind of Islamic network and got the money that way, or Gary believe it might be the proceeds of social welfare payments that had been saved but not banked. Oh, 
that's 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 interesting. I wonder will we I wonder will we ever find out that mystery? Yes. There's nothing illegal about having thirty thousand dollars in a no. ba- in a bag. I well, ca- if you came I here, ca- I would call that lucky. By the way, if that were if that were the case, but yes, if you came here as a refugee, it seems an odd thing that you would be so yeah. flush with money. Yes, it does. And then Palani was continually in trouble th- during his uh, teenage years. Neighbors say Gardi were often seen coming to his family home to talk to him. He was responsible for causing a lot of criminal damage in Sligo town. Youssef and his associates were banned from a lot of shops. Oh, because. Because they shoplifted, but there was nothing to suggest he could kill. I like this word, associate. I say, a neighbor said, his associates. What does that mean? Because normally you'd say friends. friends. That's what you'd normally say. So associates is a. It's an interesting choice of words, Isn't and I it? don't. I don't understand it. And were they were they local um, associates? Ca- were they local Christian associates or local? What could have been a, uh, an Islamic gang, perhaps? But we're not going to find. We're certainly not. We're certainly not going to go there. And then, sorry, we're not going to find. We're not going to find out from this particular article. On, on, they do admit that on this TikTok bio, he says only Allah knows me, right? However, the interview Ali Salam, a Muslim scholar from Dublin. Okay, what does he have to say? This phrase "only Allah knows me." There is no hidden meaning to this. He says. Okay. It's a very introverted view of Islam. Okay. If he was a good Muslim, he would not say such things. All right. And then he says, I don't believe this man was religiously inspired. There is nothing in Islam that gives anyone the right to kill another human being. I think, I'm not saying that Ali Selim is not a Muslim scholar. However, I think there is some debate within the Muslim community, Ali, or Mr. Selim, sorry, about whether Allah, or whether Islam gives you the right to kill another human being. In fact, I would suggest that uh, there's an active debate, uh, a very active debate. In this is from I, Phelan McAleer, Islamic scholar in the Sligo area. Well, I'm merely observing the high rate of murder between Islamic groups and uh, in, let's say, Iraq, uh, between the Shia and Sunnis. I'm, I, I wonder, I think uh, is, certain members of the Islamic community may have driven airplanes, flown airplanes into buildings, you know, various things like that. So I would, you know, there's nothing in Islam that gives anyone the right to kill another human being is an actively debated part of the uh, Islamic community. I like this one. Anne Speckard, a psychologist who runs the International Centre for the Study of Violent Extremism. Lovely. Right. In other words, complete nonsense. Uh, said that the case was one, was a classic one of hate projection. So she was able to work out, very funny, the way he writes this here, a psychologist who runs the International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism in Washington. I th- when I read that first, she was thinking, she studies violent extremism in Washington. He missed the comma. Violent extremism, that comma, in Washington. That's, that's oh, I get you. Uh, <laughs> said this is one of classic hate projection. There are two possible explanations, she said, stroking her chin. Two. Scholarly. I added that bit about stroking the chin. He was either radicalized and he believed he was serving Islam or he had a secret. Islam does not tolerate homosexuality, she said, like a lot of fundamental Christian religions. Oh, right. And then, and she does this again. Maybe he couldn't find a way of being a gay Muslim. Actually, there's no evidence he's gay at all. None. Zero. Zilch, right? He, you know, he hasn't as much looked at at a buff young man on a beach. As he flexed his muscle. Sorry. Um, what was I saying? Uh, so maybe maybe he couldn't find a way of being a gay Muslim. So he killed this part of himself by killing other people. Yes, says Anne from 
Washington, who, who was able to look into this heart of this guy in Sligo and just find that, but not think that any kind of radicalization. I've encountered befo- this before with people who joined I- ISIS, she said, but also far-right groups in America who engage in hate-motivated. So everything comes back to far-right groups in America, basically. Yeah, those Christians in America, they're just the worst. They're really, you know, yes. basically, you know, whatever. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, what am I going to do? Yes, talking of America, by the way. Talking, talking of America. America, obviously there's been an enormous amount of news in America and Trump has been indicted again, I think, yes. for the 54th time. Yes. I don't know many times. But... Um, our next guest, Greg Price. I, will, I'll go over. I, I interviewed him before we came on the show. We'll go over now. He's a f- former Daily Caller journalist. He's he's the director for the State Freedom Caucus Network. He knows everything there is to know about the multiple uh, Trump indictments. Um, we'll go over there now. The interview. It, it's listen to it. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing. So let's go over. Well, I'm joined now by Greg Price, and if you've ever been on Twitter, you'll probably recognize his name. I think Elon Musk just followed him, which was a good decision by Mr. Musk. Uh, he's a former Daily Caller journalist uh, who is, seems to be breaking news every single day. Uh, he's currently the communications director for the State Freedom Caucus Network, which is uh, allied with the, the Freedom Caucus in, in Congress, those heroes. Um, and here he's um, he's going to walk us through as best anyone can, really the 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 the, we, the latest weird Trump indictment, um, and try and explain it. Try and explain the inexplicable, perhaps. But maybe it's better than that. So uh, welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks for having me. And, and many people are saying the best thing Elon Musk has ever done was follow me on Twitter. Yes, I just I, I just decided to give that give you that opening. Yes. When did he follow you? Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I think, like pretty recently. Was it on the foot of a, was it on the foot of a specific tweet? Do you think or uh, just cumulative? Not like a specific one. I mean, he had replied to a couple of my things and liked a few of them. And uh, yeah. Okay. Well, enough about you. Let's talk about Donald Trump and the special prosecutor. Um, so this is indictment number three. In fact, we've kind of shied away from talking not shied away but i've been kind of reluctant to talk about these indictments because they're just plain ludicrous um um tell us what this you know give us the official what is this official what is this indictment about mr price tell us what 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 they think it's about and then we can talk what it's really about Ludicrous, I think, is putting it mildly. I have a couple of uh, words that I can't really say on a podcast to describe the latest indictment. But it, the latest one uh, surrounds January 6th and his actions after the 2020 election. And the way that you know that the indictment is a load of crap is because ever since January 6th, the left has been telling us that Donald Trump committed, you know, a violation of the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment. Uh, and, you know, the vi- violations of the Insurrection Act that would keep him from running for office again. And that's what he was going to be prosecuted for. And, you know, J- Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, who has all the political power that he could possibly want behind this, could very well have done that. But that's not what they're prosecuting him for. And so they're prosecuting him for defrauding the United States by and by what they say is lying that the 2020 election was stolen and knowing it was lying when he, when he said that. And they're saying that he, like, disrupted the congressional proceeding, I guess, by giving his speech on the ellipse that day. There's not really, you can't really make a correlation to that. But 
Yeah, the way you know it's crap is they're trying to criminalize his political speech after the 2020 election as opposed to things that actually related to January 6th itself. They want to make it a crime to have said that the 2020 election may have not been conducted unfairly. And, you know, and it sounds crazy to most people and any, you know, honest legal mind looking at this would say that, yeah, this is something that is, you know, a way you're stretching out this statute way too much. And also, if we criminalize poli every politician that ever, quote unquote, defrauded the United States, we would have nobody left in the United States Congress. But, you know, the, but Trump faces an uphill battle because it's happening in Washington, D.C. with a D.C. jury. Ninety two percent of the city voted for Donald Trump. They're going to be majorly stacked against him. On top of that, he got assigned to the judge in this case, who, first of all, worked at the same law firm as Hunter Biden and has given ex enhanced sentences past the guidelines to 75% of January 6th defendants that have come before her. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Ann Coulter, who's no friend of, of Donald Trump these days, she she put it best, I think. There's no crime there. there, there you know, it's not even that he has a First Amendment right to say whatever he wants. What was the crime? I mean, yes, the Insurrection Act would have been a crime. Insurrection is a crime. But but the, where are they getting this? What crime? What crime is it? Well, it's an attempt to criminalize political speech because... The goal here is not to actually have a tangible crime to charge Donald Trump with. It's to search for any crime that they could get past or they could get through a judge and a jury in Washington, D.C. And, you know, Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, has a history of doing this. He was the prosecutor who ruined the life of former Virginia governor Bob McDonnell when, you know, he aggressively went after him and tried to put him in jail and then lost unanimously at the Supreme Court. And Bob McDonald had his entire conviction overturned. This is a prosecutor that is known for aggressively over-prosecuting prominent Republican politicians in order to try and destroy their careers. And that's exactly what he's doing here. And it, it doesn't matter that there's no crime there. He's, you know, it, he's looking for any and he's looking for any way to do this. And defrauding the United States is what they, they've come up with. And it's the same thing with the last indictment over the, the document situation. They're not charged. You know, in any normal, if Donald Trump was not a presidential candidate with an R next to his name, there's no way it, he would be charged under the Espionage Act, as Jack Smith did. This this would fall under the Presidential Records Act. There's no crime for having, you know, for having classified documents and such. Instead, Jack Smith's going at him under an unconstitutional law that was passed during World War One to criminalize dissent against the war. And so it's, it's fully crazy. And it's a really scary time for our country when, you know, the 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 top law enforcement arm is put is attempting to put the top opponent of the current president of the United States in jail. I mean, I almost don't. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I almost don't want to talk about the other aspect of it that, you know, the Washington Examiner, they reported one of the prosecutors working with a special counsel made large donations to Democratic candidates. So the whole team is riven with conflict of interests as well. But I mean, tell us about that. But, uh, you know, again, it's it's almost a secondary madness, you know? Yeah, one of the former, he, he, he's a former DOJ lawyer from New York, now advising Jack Smith, who donated $5,000 to Joe Biden. Jack Smith's wife also is a Joe Biden donor, and she was also a producer of the Michelle Obama documentary. 
And as I mentioned before, the judge in the case used to be co-workers with Hunter Biden and was an Obama appointee and is given ever and all of her J6 sentences have gone way over the sentencing deadlines for crimes that in mo- that are most mostly consist of, you know, trespassing or whatever. Yeah. I just want to correct you there. She may have she may have been in an office where Hunter Biden also got paid. But I've seen Hunter Biden's laptop and Hunter Biden has never worked a day in his life. He may have received millions and he may receive tens of millions for services. But if there was ever any work done, it, it, it would be hard to find. I mean, yeah, and you're right. There's other conflicts of interest. And exactly, you see, the this um, these indictments just always seem to come out when there's really bad news about the Biden administration. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah, that's that's happened four times at this point, you know. Back in March, the day after Hunter Biden finally admitted that the laptop was his, the very next day, Trump got his notice from Jack Smith that he was going to be indicted. And then back in June, the, the day after uh, the FBI turned over the uh, FD 1023 form or 1025 form, alleging that the Bidens took a $10 million bribe from Burisma in order to, in order to get Victor Shokin fired, the day after that happened, uh, you know, Donald, Donald Trump got indicted for the first time by Jack Smith. And then and then Devin Archer goes to Congress and testifies about all these crimes that the Bidens committed. And Trump gets indicted again the next day. They are literally, every single time there is bad news about the Bidens, his DOJ, which he controls, you know, the, 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 the media on the left like to pretend that the DOJ is some sort of an independent entity. It's not. His DOJ that he controls is now going after his political opponent. What's the timeline for this? Do you think this uh, trial will happen before the next election? Uh, definitely not. I think Trump's legal team is going to delay it as, as long and as long as they possibly can. You know, there may be hearings on it that happen. I could see maybe next January, but I think they're, they're going to try to delay this until at least after the 2024 election. And that could, and, and and that brings up a pretty interesting question because you know that if Donald Trump was not a presidential candidate, there's not a chance that he would be getting indicted for any of these things right now. And so let's say Donald Trump, you know, is the nominee and he loses to Joe Biden. Do they still go after him as as hard as they're doing? Like that's a lot of interesting questions about whether or not Donald Trump in 2024 is running not just to become president, but also running for his freedom because these people are dead set on putting this guy in jail. That's it. That's the, that's the key to this, that he, he threatened the establishment. So therefore... He must be stopped, but there's a warning going out to other people that if you threaten the establishment or you are a supporter or staff member of the candidate who threatens the establishment, you will go to jail. What a country. Um, any other indictments on the uh, on the horizon coming down the track? Well, there's the Georgia one coming. That's going to be the fourth one that's apparently coming in the next two weeks, coming from a Soros-funded prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, and they're going to indict Donald Trump for essentially the same things, you know, stuff related to, to the election in, in Georgia. And I don't, I'm sure you remember there was that, uh, the four person on the grand jury that was investigating Donald Trump there a couple months ago, decided to go on MSNBC and CNN. And, uh, she seemed a little insane. I don't know if you or the people in the audience have seen this video, but if you never have, you got to go see it. People then found this woman's Pinterest account, which showed that she was really into witchcraft. So that's that's the type of people going after him in Georgia. There's something wrong now when when you can get a grand jury in a county 
in you know in Georgia, and try, and you know and try and scupper the presidential candidate uh, for one of the major parties at the next election. It just ain't right, um, and you know uh, pro the process is part of the punishment also, um, and. Uh, you know, let, let's watch this. It's 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 alarming. It's um, it's distracting. Um, uh, hopefully, it'll come back to bite them. You you'd like to think that most you know like that normie norm would see this and understand that it's blatantly political. That there's you know that there's nothing there. That the only reason they're doing this is because they you know they they rigged the last election and they're not confident enough that they're going to be able to rig the next one too. So. Yeah, I hope people are paying attention, and I, you know, I think I think a lot of people are. I think most people see this for what it is. Well, Greg, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, I think we'll have you on again because I think this is a long-running story and will not end anytime soon. Where can people find you if they're looking for you? You can go to Greg underscore Price Eleven on uh, Twitter and check out the State Freedom Caucus Network as well and the House Freedom Caucus and keep following and supporting all the work that we're doing every day. Just, am I correct, the uh, the House Freedom Caucus, they were the gang of 20 who held McCarthy up, McCarthy's speakership up and got all those uh, concessions. Is that correct? Yeah, the 22 members, of the, not every member of the Freedom Caucus, but 22, all of whom were the part of the Freedom Caucus, were the ones who held up the speaker vote, yeah. And now you're trying to expand this to the, this kind of idea to the states, is that right? That's right. So the State Freedom Caucus Network, we work under the same brand and as the House Freedom Caucus. And essentially we're going into state legislatures and we're meeting with legislatures and we're getting them to form freedom caucuses within the states because, you know, D.C. kind of gets all the attention, but people don't really pay attention to what's going on in their backyard in their state. And, you know, you may think that you're safe because you're living in a red state like Louisiana or Wyoming, but the bottom line is, those capital, their, their swamps exist not just in D.C., but in state capitals all over America. And the Freedom Caucuses are trying to change that. And by the way, you know, I mean, I, just from my experience, there's no bigger swamp than Texas, actually, funny enough. Texas. Yeah, Texas is really bad. It's a swamp. It's a swamp. It needs a Freedom Caucus there. So, Greg, Greg underscore Price 11 on Twitter. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's kind of depressing, actually, that it, it's very depressing. You know, America is really. It's hard to see how it gets out of this death loop of 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 politicization. Well, of, politicization of the justice system, which is part of which part of part of what we were doing when we were doing the Kevin Spacey yes, trial. Let, let's it's, talk it's, about it's like it's, yeah. it's it's like an extension. It's like an extension of that. Yeah. So, um, we we are we have an article this week in the Federalist. And uh, it's about the Kevin Spacey case. And, you know, don't forget, all a lot of this came from the original BuzzFeed article um, uh, with the fake steel dossier. And the, the, the Kevin Spacey case, it was basically, it was a fruit of the poison tree of a really bad, bad, unethical BuzzFeed journalism uh, article. And the original BuzzFeed article was written by journalist Adam Vary. And claimed that he assaulted Anthony Kevin Spacey assaulted Anthony Rapp when he was fourteen, and uh, unfortunately for Rapp, Rapp sued Spacey for forty million dollars, and that entitled to him to discovery, but it also entitled Spacey to discovery, and Spacey was able to get the internal private communications between journalist and interviewee, mm -hmm. and there's a, there was a problem with the original interview uh, as uh, in Rapp's original. 
pre-publication interview, rapped the victim, told Vary, the journalist, he had a terrible visceral reaction when he saw Spacey at the 2008 Tony Awards. It was a dramatic illustration of how Spacey had affected him for decades, etc. But there was a problem for Vary, the journalist. He did some basic research, which was unusual for him, and we'll discover that later, and quickly discovered that Kevin Spacey had not attended the 2008 Tony Awards. This is a big problem, because Vary was asking people to believe that Rapp could remember in detail the, the, the sexual assault with Spacey over 30 years ago in 1986, but couldn't remember anything that happened much more recently. A decade ago. This yeah. was you know, in 2008 because this article was written for 2017. So to save the story, uh, he decided to hide Rap's bad memory, to cover it up, not tell the readers. And he said it in text messages. In the text messages. And so this is a text message from Rap the journalist to the interviewee, Vary. Sorry, Vary the journalist to the interviewee, Rap. One thing to make you aware of, we can't seem to place Spacey at the Tonys in 2008. He didn't present and wasn't nominated and there's no photos we can find. We don't doubt he was there, but we don't want to nail down a specific date that Spacey could just flatly deny. We're still looking, but if we can't nail it down, we'll likely say you saw him at an industry industry event or some such. I think this is called collusion. Yeah, collusion. In, in, any, in any dictionary definition, you'd find this story as the very definition of collusion, which is, by the way, for any of you who don't know, not supposed to happen in journalism. Yes. In fact, the journalist should have said, hmm... I smell a rat. I smell something bad here. This is bad. You can't remember what happened a decade ago, but you, and you're now asking me to believe what happened. Yeah. And then there's further that if that's not enough for you, let's hear more about what Adam Vary did to help his friend. Well, the alleged assault happened. Um, in fact, you, they would have been able to happen in May, allegedly happened in May 1986. But of course, they were worried that Spacey would be able to say, well, I wasn't there that time. I was away. I did this. I did that. I, I went to my mother's birthday party. You know, so Spacey, uh, so Rap, the journalist, also, Vary, Vary, Vary the, the journalist, journalist, wrote to Rap and said, similar to what we're going to do with this Tony story, we're going to stay away, steer away from ex- exact specificity in, in the story for the party. So they made... The details and timings of the assault and locations of the assault as vague, vague as possible. They only said it was 1986, no date, no time. Without, with, uh, you know, and so making it really difficult for Kevin Spacey to defend himself because it, because it was so vague. It was like, so he had nothing, he had nothing to go on. Yes. And, is, and, and look, as we saw with Trump, the, they, they came after Kevin Spacey because it was part of the Me Too madness. They wanted a Me Too scalp. But they, they're softening up the justice system. They changed the statute of limitations to allow Anthony Rapp to sue Kevin Spacey. Then they used that legislation to come after Trump in a New York courtroom under the E. Jean Carroll. They're, they're softening up the justice system. They're politicizing the justice system. They're so that when they want to come after you, they'll change the law to suit so, and they will have a precedent and they'll say, well, we did it with Kevin Spacey. And you didn't object them. So this is, people are saying to us, why are you defending someone like Kevin Spacey? We're not defending him, by the way. We're doing journalism on a different thing. But why are you wasting your journalistic resources on Kevin Spacey? And it's like, we have to because injustice to him is injustice for all. And they're going to use the same malfeasance, the same unethical journalism, the same unethical legal strategies to that they did to come after him, to come after us, to come after you, to come after Trump, to come after someone you love. So please go to the Kevin Spacey podcast dot com. It's called the Kevin Spacey trial unfiltered. 
listen, leave a rating, leave a review, and let us know what you think. Because we really, because we've put a, we put a huge amount of work into it, and we are getting, and we have, we can't yes. tell you, but we are getting responses, and we are finding out that unbelievable people are listening to it and it's kind of kind of extraordinary one of these days we'll tell you all about that we're just about to finish the program but there's something that we want to talk about just for a millisecond because we we realized we didn't and it's something that was very important to me and to all of us who made the mice on hunter movie by the way one of the things that struck us from very early on when we started to look at, at joe biden at the biden family was you know, you know, there's all this kind of corruption, all this political yeah. mal- malfeasance. Um, but w- I remember, and I'm going to remind you, Phelan, remember we met a very nice gentleman in, in Florida, a very a Jewish gentleman, very, very devoutly re- religious man, mm-hmm. be- beautiful person. I won't, don't get into too many details about who he was. But anyway, through his business and workings, uh, I think he had some kind of a, worked somehow at one point in the Commerce Department. He had a meeting one time many, many, many years ago with Joe Biden and came away from it feeling um, that, that, that Joe Biden was a very bad man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, and he put it, he used very strong language to describe it. And this was not a man who's yes. um, prone to exaggeration. And it, it really shocked me at the time. And I kind of thought, I thought it seemed like it seemed a bit extreme or whatever. Mm. And then as I learned more about Joe Biden, for me, the thing that really stood out, and this is going to, you know, I, and I think it does. And I think a lot of you responded when I started talking about this was, the idea that you would ghost a child, yes. that you would deny the existence of a child, is kind of beyond belief, mm-hmm. right? Um, this isn't the 18th century, the 19th, you know, the 17th century. This is the 21st. You know, we are we are now, you know, all very modern. This is Joe Biden, extremely progressive Joe Biden, by the way, mm-hmm. who constantly talks about his grandchildren, who talk constantly talk, and who was ghosting a little child, who there is no doubt about the fact that that child is his granddaughter. Um, and, and in speech after speech, constantly talking about his grandchildren and numbering them and constantly numbering them and leaving this child out with a permanent record forever that that child will become a grown-up and read and know that the most powerful person on the planet Earth yep. denied her existence for no reason other than, and there is a very specific reason, there's a very specific, simply understood reason why he did that. And the reason was because it would shed light on his son, Hunter Biden, who is his partner in crime, as we exposed in the My Son Hunter movie, yep. which is available for free and you can watch and you should share and you should watch. MySonHunterMovie.com. MySonHunterMovie.com. So as po- some of you probably know, in the last couple of weeks, Joe Biden has just casually slipped into, he was being interviewed in a podcast, the fact that he has this other granddaughter and he's just casually he's not made a big announcement about it he didn't know any kind of I'm doing this or a mea culpa or ask for forgiveness nothing like that he's just suddenly casually decided that now in fact he does have seven grandchildren am I right about the number film yes that he is now seven he's always talked about six and it's this is I mean for me this remember is a, he had this the six the Christmas, Christmas stockings, stockings. Uh, over the fireplace at the, at the White House, like as if to uh, to to really, really rub salt into the wound of a child, of a small child. And I mean, the wound for you know, there's so many wounds that that child has been infli- that has been inflicted on that child already, including, for example, obviously the inauguration day, where there was a child being pushed around all over the place and handed from one person to another person, Hunter Biden's other child, more recent child, and yet. That little one, the one in Arkansas, Navy Jones, could have been literally could have been watching the inauguration, watching her family 
blank her, ignore her, ghost her. And the consequences for children of behavior like that is very, very well documented. And we're, by the way, we're the awful, you know, Christian extremists, you know, right wing nut jobs. Um, you'd fi- you'd travel far and wide now to find that kind of behavior from the most powerful person on the planet Earth. But anyway, this is what he's done. Um, it's welcome, but it's late. And and it's, you know, yeah. while I say it's welcome, if it's been done in the piecemeal way that it's been done now and the kind of half hearted way, yes. it's pathetic. It's a political thing. It's no, it's not. You know, it's, it's pol- but, he's, but no, he's doing it for the for the for the, for for the, the election, campaign, for the election, so because does, yeah. to avoid the awkward question, to avoid the fact that Trump, who is, you know, we know we can depend on to say the thing that you're thinking, but no one would say that he will say. That's the thing he would totally do, and he will do it. If yeah. there ever is a debate... He'll, he'll invite her and the and baby. And put them in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he does. Okay, that's enough from us for this week. We will not be with you next week. We are going to take um, a little holiday. Um, we have a special special visitor coming, or a godchild coming to visit us, and we are taking the week off, um, and we will take lots of photographs and share with you our adventures. Bye-bye. Right. Well, actually, let's let's share some photographs we've taken on this little trip. On this to trip so far. Yeah, well, let's put like, them up now. Oh, let me, let me just mention something that I've discovered since I came to Ireland on this occasion. I have discovered sea swimming, which is a huge thing here. But now the really proper version of doing it is that you do it all all months of the year, including the really cold winter months. But even doing it this time of year where the weather isn't that great here now at the moment um, has been an absolute tonic. Are Cannot you saying? Are you saying you're a fair weather sea swimmer? I am a fair weather sea tonic, swimmer. You, but it's a tonic, but it's a tonic, and I would highly recommend it. And apparently, and according to the ladies that I swim with, who are very, 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 very funny and very, very nice, um, we we while we're dying as we walk into the cold, cold water, we start to say to each other, someone has to tell a story or tell something good or get us to distract. So we were talking about the fact that apparently, when you sea swim. Bad fat is turned into brown fat and apparently brown fat is very good. And the other thing one of the ladies said the other day was that if you put your face into the water in the really, really cold water, it's better than Botox. So next time you see me, I'm going to look really young. You know that kind of way. Are we taking a very long holiday? No. Oh. No, no. We will be back quite soon. Okay. We will talk to you. Oh, that's very naughty. I got it now. Oh, Phelan, hurtful now. No need for that. All right. Little joke. Little joke. We won't be doing the little joke. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye.